Okay, we're going to look at a topic that uh, we don't generally speak, talk about, but I sense in my spirit that we should talk about it. It's off what we studied on the last Thursday, off of understanding uh, salvation from the prism of our covenant. We want to focus on forgiveness of sins. It's important that we do that. You need a paradigm shift here, all of us. All of us, because we are used to performance-based religion. Because many do not understand the place of grace in our relationship with God, in our society. Mercy is considered foolish. And people want to take advantage of the foolish man who shows mercy. Vengeance is considered wisdom and a deterrent for troublemakers. Our society runs on performance and reward. That is the wisdom of the world. But God's wisdom is based on love and mercy and compassion and justice. And we think it is foolish and can be gamed like we do with everything that is free in the society. But God is not a man. And is wiser than all of us. Actually, I want you to listen to this. This is my introduction that I wrote. Actually, his message says, stop. Let me give you a second chance. You can't do it. Give, me, give it to me. Let me do it for you. Which I believe is better. Far better. So, Forgiveness gives us all a second chance, or better, another chance, and the privilege to give God all our burdens and take his rest. And he does a far better job with our lives than we could ever do if we look at it this way, then we are ready to study this thing together. So we need a paradigm shift and realize that God's mercy and love does better work in your life than you can ever do. It gives him the privilege to take your life over and make you what you never could have made yourself. So the story is about forgiveness. Forgiveness is one key achievement of Jesus on the cross. Without it, we're all done for. Our sins will remain will be subject to God's wrath and the life in hell. And Jesus did what nothing else could do. The blood of animals couldn't take care of our sins. We couldn't perform our way out of it. The only way out was his blood. In Hebrew 9.22, in fact, under, under the law, Almost everything is purified by means of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sins. Without the blood. Listen to this. You can't come to God and say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not too bad. It won't help. It would, that's waste of your time. Without the shedding of blood, 
There is neither release from sin, no release, no freedom from its control, and its guilt, nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sin. It's not going to happen. New Living Translation said there is no forgiveness, forgiveness of sins. And so God's plan is to make us clean and holy through the shedding of the blood of Jesus. Because without it, there's no freedom from control of sin. There is no remittance of our sin, so we pay full penalty for it, which is death. Hebrew 10.3. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year, I mean the animal sacrifices, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And it's not possible either for your own self-perceived righteousness to compensate for your sins. It's not possible. Verse 5. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. No other offering for sin is accepted. But you have given me a body to offer. In verse 9, he says, then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. What is his will? He cancels the first covenant. You ever listen to this? He cancels the first covenant because it's based on animal sacrifices and all these ritualistic services. He cancels the first covenant in order to put, in, put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time, once and for all time. Because without the shedding of the blood, we die in our sins. Therefore, God has created a means through which we can come to him because of the effect and the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrew 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place for one reason. One reason. Not two. Because of the blood of Jesus. That's the reason. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. So by his death, because of his blood, forgiveness is available. And because of that blood, he has opened a new way through, through which we come to God and receive life instead of death. So we come to God, you are not consumed. Come before God, you are accepted. Because the blood washes away all your sins. And forgiveness it's yours. Sins are forgiven. Remember what we said in the introduction. Because we have the culture of performance-based reward, performance and reward, it looks foolish. And so you start to think, how can this be? Well, the Bible answers that question. It says that the wisdom of God is foolishness to people. 
Because <laughs> you bring nothing to the table. What will you bring? Is it your good works that will wash away your sin? Is it your money that will wash away your sin? Is it your title that will wash away your sin? None of that. So what can we really bring? That's the question. Nothing. And we sing it. What can wash away my sins? But nothing but the blood of Jesus. Then if there is nothing that can cleanse me and cleanse you, we depend purely on the grace and mercy of God that provided us forgiveness and the blood of Jesus to wash away our sins. So we cannot come boldly. Anybody that believes in Jesus and understands this and has been healed of performance reward base of the society can come boldly before God. That's why we come in Jesus' name. So if our sins are not forgiven, we are finished. We're under condemnation of guilt. Guilty conscience. I mean, guilty sentence for our sins. But if it is forgiven, then we are free of condemnation, of guilt. And then, let me illustrate it this way. If a judge, if you are guilty of crime and you're going to be killed, put you on the electric chair, and the judge comes in and says, well, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. You, you know, the only thing they can do is let you go. Even though you committed that sin. Or the governor or the president forgives your, your, your sin and says you can go. The only thing he can do, nobody in that country can put in jail. You pack your stuff, get into a taxi, get into whatever, Uber, whatever, and go straight away home. Did you do that? Sure. But somebody forgave your sins. So you can no more condemned and guilty. No. You are free to go. It's people who are condemned and guilty that go to jail to serve the penalty for what they did. When you say there's no more condemnation, you must understand what you're saying. So that your faith can rise. So if our sins are forgiven, if the blood has washed it away, and it cannot be found. And God says, you are free. Go. Then you are free. No condemnation anymore. Because if there's condemnation, then you're guilty. And then you serve out the time. So Romans 8.1 says exactly what I'm saying here. There is therefore now no condemnation to those to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's exactly what I'm saying. You came to Christ. Your sins are washed away. That's forgiveness for you. You are no more guilty. You are no more a condemned criminal. You are a free citizen. No more condemnation. When you say these things, understand what you are saying. Say legal term. It's a seriously legally binding term. When a judge says, you can go home, I cancel your sins. Or the president writes and says, these people, their sins are forgiven, using his power 
to do such a thing, that person is no more a criminal. Therefore, now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Why? The blood washed away their sins. So we're not guilty. No condemnation. And then which who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Which means those who really accept it, because some people will not. To walk after the spirit is to walk by faith. To walk after things that are not seen, but are real. To walk after the flesh is to be controlled by your senses. When it doesn't make sense to you, you reject it. And it's walking after the flesh that makes us commit sin all the time. Verse 2 brings another dimension, which we preached on not too long ago. He says, for the Lord of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Exactly what I'm saying. That I committed sin, yeah. For all have sinned. But now Jesus died, shed his blood, and my sins are forgiven. And I'm told to go home. So he's saying that in place of penalty of death, that the sin I committed pronounces on me, I get freedom to live. I have freedom to live. I have now the right to life. It's simple. It's the same thing like a legal system. That's what he's saying. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Their sins are forgiven. It's a law. The same thing is a law in our legal system here. That if you're pre the president or the governor of the state, if you commit state, state, state crime, we forgive it. The law says that you are free. It's a law. The governor or president is acting premised on a prescribed authority that the people who write laws, the house, the Senate have written, voted on, and passed. God says there is a law, too, from the highest authority that stamps it. No condemnation if you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven, washed away. See, that law says instead of me paying the penalty of my sin, the soul that's in Asia died. said, I cannot walk away. I have right to leave. I don't have to die. And that disarms the devil who wants to execute this thing from touching me. That's if we know what we're talking about. You can see the power of forgiveness. Romans 6, 23 helps us out here and tells us why we now have a right to life. For the wages of sin is death, sure. But the gift of God is not death. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a gift. He is the judge of all. Sees in the court of heaven and pronounces you free, sins forgiven. Why? He himself, he 
brought the sacrifice and sacrificed it for me, shed that blood that can wash away sins. And I've accepted it. So he says, now, you don't have to pay the penalty of death. You have a right to live. Go home. But you know, there are those who reject this forgiveness that the blood offers them. I want to pay for their sins. By whatever means, they will remain guilty. Because if the judge says, you can go, and you say to the judge, I'm not going. I want, I want to pay for it. Oh, he said, okay, fine, take him to jail. Take him to jail. He wants to pay for it. You go to jail. Simple justice. It's your choice. Acts 8.20. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast taught that the gift of God, life is gift of God, may be purchased with money, or purchased with fasting, purchased with your good works, Purchased with your title. Purchased with whatever. 21. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. You have simply taken yourself away from a free gift. You rejected it. Because you want to pay for it. You want to come and God accepts you because you are so good. Somebody say, you know what? I'm not so bad, Shaq. You are, I'm sorry, but you are, I am. We all have sinned. And we are born in sin, born in iniquity. Galatians 3.10. That those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under the curse. Oh, no, they don't get the blessings that forgiveness offers because their choice is that rejected to be free by what God is offering. For the scripture says, cause is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. And he says something. He says, before it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to obey the law. Why? Because nobody is perfect. Or since you don't want to take the advantage of what the blood did and you're seeing it, you pay for it. For the scripture says, it is true faith in Christ that a righteous person has life, a gift of God. Gift for those who accepted the washing of the blood for their sins. Now, sin consciousness or focus on sin is unscriptural. Every Christian should listen to me here now. Sin consciousness, focusing on sin, is totally unscriptural. It violates scripture. Actually, it's disobedience. Those of you who love Ten Commandments, it's disobedience. Hebrew 12, 2. Looking away from all that we distract to Jesus. You see, that's why we're told to look. We're told to look at sin. We're told to look at Jesus. And looking away from every distraction, including sin, whatever. Do not out of sight, it's out of mind. If sin is out of your sight, it's out of your mind. Looking to Jesus, who is the leader and source of our faith. So that he is the source of faith that gives you victory over sin, over the devil. And faith that gives you the ability to walk the new life you have. 
Faith that activates the new life, activates the power of God. He is the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief, and it's also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. So if you're not focusing on Christ, you are disobeying the word of God, looking in the wrong direction. And there's another scripture that you are violating. Acts 10, 15. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. So why do you focus on sin and calling yourself unclean, calling people unclean, when God has made them clean? You say, ah, God made them clean. God forgave their sins. Gave them right to live. So you don't go to somebody that the president has released, forgiven, and go and be calling him a criminal. He is no more a criminal. He's not. He's a free citizen like you. And he's not in jail anyway. So he's as free as you are. So God says, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. If you are a Christian and you have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, do not let the devil or anybody call you unclean. Never. If you do, they will destroy your faith. You will never read the entire Bible where the Holy Spirit calls a Christian a sinner. We never see. No place. You see, the problem that Christianity ran into was that we, we, people started to uh, um, augment God's word with human wisdom. Especially when you have been a Christian a long time, you're controlling a lot of people, you have authority. There's this tendency to think you, you, you have this right somehow to be the interpreter of scripture. That's what, the, that's what Christianity ran into. And people started to interject human wisdom into this pure, sincere wisdom of God. And they made the word of God have no effect. They lost the power, lost everything. I was saying on Sunday that we tell people you need to believe you are a, you need to believe um, you are a sinner to be saved. There's no place the Bible says that. Oh, but you know, I'm a senior pastor and I've been around. So God forgot it. You know, God forgot to put it. So I can put it. Okay? And I can reason that if they don't accept the sinner, they, they will not see the need now to accept Christ. You see? Oh, so God forgot it. So you are wiser. Then you brought it in. Now, you cannot reason yourself into salvation. Salvation, salvation is not a mental exercise. Salvation is strictly a spiritual exercise. Bible says by wisdom the world cannot know God. By that your reasoning, that man 
He's not going to know God. And Paul said that you don't preach this thing with enticing words of men's wisdom, with all rhetoric. He said you make the word of no effect. He said because it's the power of the Spirit on display. It's only the Spirit of God that can reveal to a man the mystery called salvation. But no, if you, if you don't convince him he's a healer, he will not... Um, he will not see his need for Christ. Kidding me? Are you serious? The Holy Spirit comes to convict him, not you. That's the power of God. That's God that confirms. Preach what God gave you, the Holy Spirit will walk on it. Well, the day God said, if you told me I was a sinner, I'll walk out on you. Because I had everything people thought made people Christian. My father was a pastor. And actually, king, I was a member of the committee of a big church. And you tell me I'm a sinner? Are you kidding me? But when the altar called, when somebody preached a simple gospel, and I ran to that altar, he, that man didn't convict me, convince me. I had an inner conviction that I needed listen. Paul said, it's the power of God. Is the Holy Spirit. You can't reason it. You can't. So we deploy these things that are worthless, that God didn't ask us to do, because we don't trust the wisdom of God. So it happens. Happens. Looking away from Jesus, it's your wisdom that says, you know, you can look at sin. So if you preach sin and focus on sin, people will change. God didn't say that. I'm the one that changes people. He didn't say that. He doesn't need your help. Let me show us what the Holy Spirit called you. Never give yourself another name. You are who he said you are. Fight for it. I'm no kidding. If you lose your identity... The devil will eat you for lunch. You know, he went to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God. Why is it important to him? He wanted to confuse his identity. And Jesus said, I don't prove anything. The word of God says so. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. He said, the word of God says, I don't have to prove anything. I'm the son of God. The prophets talked about me. I'm right here. So what did the Holy Spirit call you? First Thessalonians 5, 27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. <laughs> Feel like dancing there. That's me. Yeah. If you don't like it, go to God. But that's me. That's you. You are who he says you are. Holy brethren. Holy? Yeah. The blood made us holy. We read it. It's God's plan to make us holy by the blood of Jesus. The Holy Spirit cannot deny what he himself executed. Hebrews 3.1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of heavenly calling. That's who we are. Holy brethren, partakers of holy, uh, heavenly calling. 1 Corinthians 1.2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ, called to be saints, 
Are you kidding me? Sanctified in Christ by the blood. Called to be saints. I can read you scripture upon scripture upon scripture. Where the Holy Spirit is identifying you as a saint. Who is a saint? A holy person. A person set apart for God's purpose. That's who we are. The body of Christ. You can't call the body of Christ unclean. You are discreting holy faith. The body of Christ. You can't call Jesus unclean. We are members of his body. Holy brethren. You are who he said you are. It matters a lot. Say why? Galatians one four. Who gave himself for our sins that we might be de- that we might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father? First Corinthians six eleven. And such were some of you, but you are washed. Holy brethren, you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the Spirit of our God. This is the testimony of the Holy Spirit about you and me when we come to Christ. You are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God will never deny what He Himself did on the cross. He remembered the day He did it. I remember the purpose for doing it is to make us holy. Nothing else can wash away our sins except the blood of Jesus. Nothing else. So when was your sin really forgiven? The very day Jesus died, forgiveness was available. If you don't come to take it, you go to hell. If you don't come to take it, that's your business. You go to hell. You pay for your sins. If you come and accept what Jesus did for you, then he's paid for you. Forgiveness is yours. Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood, which confirmed the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So the day it was poured out, forgiveness was available. You were not forgiven the day you came to Christ. It was poured out for forgiveness. The day it was poured out, forgiveness was available. But if you don't come to take it, you end up in hell. Life was available. The wages of sin is dead. But the gift of God is eternal life. Available. If you don't come to take it, pay the price. Ephesians 1 7. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased pastors, purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and forgave pastors our sins. See what we receive when we come to Christ. Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes 
to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness. You are receiving what is already there. He didn't say so that God will now forgive them. He said, no, they will receive what is already offered. Forgiveness of sins and inheritance are among them which are sanctified by faith. That is in me. Oh, but what if, if I sin today? Am I still a saint? Question is, do you still believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's take some example. The Corinthian church is a wonderful example. Because you couldn't have a church more carnal than they were. Did the Holy Spirit take all them saints? Let's see. 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and sustenance, our brother, verse 2, unto the church of God, which is according to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You will never see the Holy Spirit call a child of God a sin. Never. Never. He may be a baby Christian, but he's still a baby. He's still a God child, you know. Second Corinthians 1 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints, which are all in Achaia. All, call them saints. One time I was preaching in Lagos, and if you know the church we were pastoring, planting, and running, Adegule is known for is known for evil. Las Vegas is a joke. Until they go to Adegule, they think they're sinning. Adegule, Las Vegas is kindergarten. I mean, we'll be in church, they kill somebody right at our door, right there, and we come out and say, "Cause violent, extremely violent." Vile. That's why we were planting a church. I was preaching to them, condemning them, telling them all the evil they do. I mean, when I finished, they were all afraid. So I went to them so happy. Said, that's what those people deserve. And the Lord said to me, you didn't preach my word. You killed them. Say, what? Say, you killed them. Sin killers. Kills. You killed them. He said, what hope did you give them? What way out did you point to them? Where is my son that I sent to them? Where is my gospel? You condemned them. I didn't come to condemn the world. You did not preach my word. You killed my people. You don't, you don't preach to saints like sinners. They may not be good ones, but I purchased them with my blood. Did you tell them what I did for them? Did you educate them and teach them the truth? who is Christ, so you can know him. 
and be free. Then ignorance because nobody's teaching them the truth. So how do we deal with our sins right away? Number one, confess it. Recognize what you did. Take responsibility. Acknowledge that you sinned because some will not acknowledge it. They will put it on somebody else and will argue with their conscience. The only thing you do and you, are, you, want, you are arguing with their conscience, you are wrong. You can't argue your, with their conscience for doing good. There's no conscience that condemns you for doing good. But once your conscience begins to hammer you for what you did, and you start arguing, trying to rationalize it, you are doing a dangerous thing. Oh, you are playing a very dangerous game because if you quench that conscience, the devil will eat you like lunch. Can't be pretending whatever I like to pretend. That conscience is very important to you. So trying to rationalize what you've done after I didn't do this, after I did If that person didn't do this, I wouldn't have done it. It's a waste of time. That's not a Bible way. First Timothy 4.1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some people will turn away from the true faith. You see? How did they do it? They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. They are, these people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. That's where it has landed them. Because when you start rationalizing a room, arguing with their conscience, first of all, it is pride that is fueling that kind of thing. You want to be seen as good. That's why I say they're hypocrites. But God desires truth in the word parts. Number two. Sin you do not cause sin. Sin you do not acknowledge will remain active in you, in you and dominate you as long as you continue to give it a place in your life. So it's important that you recognize it by confessing. The first step of repentance is to acknowledge what you did wrong. If you don't, what are you repenting for? You won't. You continue doing what you do. Or some people say you don't have to confess your sin. You have to. From Old Testament to New, it's there in the Bible. The Old Testament sins were required. The New Testament sins are required. It's the starting point of repentance. It's a proper diagnosis. The Bible says that fools joke with sin. They joke with iniquity. They call it nothing. They put Jesus on the cross, killed him. The costless thing is sin. Jeremiah 3.13 Only acknowledge your guilt. Admit that you rebelled against the Lord. You are God and committed adultery against him by worshiping idols under every green tree. Confess that you refuse to listen to my voice. 
how the Lord has spoken. These are God's people in covenant with. God said, you need to acknowledge what you did. Don't sweep it under the carpet. The starting point of genuine repentance is to acknowledge and recognize that this thing I did is bad. That's what will help you to now, Pastor Victor was preaching to us on Sunday, that you hate it, then you can run away from it. But if you don't recognize it, why are you going to hate it? <laughs> You're making bed for it, now, rationalizing, giving reason. David said in Psalm 66, 18, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God, who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. If I didn't recognize, acknowledge what I did, God will leave me alone. You will not answer. Because he knows I'm joking. I'm not serious. Psalm 51, 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. David said, I do acknowledge it. I did this thing wrong. Faith John 1, now tells us, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have, not, we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, that's to the church. Again, don't use human wisdom to try to torpedo the word of It's as simple as it is there. If you confess, what else? How the interpretation can we give this thing? Acknowledge it, recognize it. God desires truth in the world part. Stop deceiving yourself. Acknowledging it, confessing it gives God opportunity to help you. Because you identify and say, Lord, I did this, you know. I don't, I don't want to do that. Then God said, okay, fine. Since you want help, give you help. Jesus said, if you are, if you are the physician is the sick person that needs a physician. But since your people are hurting, you don't need me. When, when, you, when you are hiding these things and rationalities, you, you are saying to God, I don't really need help. Yeah, I'm good. God will, God will honor your choice. But that thing will destroy your faith. Demons will, will use it. Number two is that we need to acknowledge and recognize the Lord Jesus as our great high priest. Consider him as the Bible tells us to do. He intercedes with his blood, even right now. Otherwise, none of us can come near God's presence. Hebrews 3. We are for holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider him. Take a moment and think about him. Don't forget his high priestly office. Hebrews 12, 24. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance, like the blood of Abel. You must know that Jesus is your great high priest, and he is your advocate, and his blood is still speaking. We think the blood was shed on the cross. We forget that he took that blood to the altar of God. He took it to the altar, and it is blood on the altar that cleanses us. That's what God said. 
That blood has to come to the altar for the sacrifice to be accepted. If you kill the animal outside and you didn't bring it to the altar, no. God's prescription, bring it to the altar. The Bible says he went into the temple of God, not made with human hands, to the real altar of God with his blood to secure our redemption, secure our forgiveness forever. So you have to acknowledge that his blood still speaks. That sacrifice is still effective for you and base your faith on it so that the devil does not dump guilt on you. He's our great advocate and intercessor. First John 2.1, my little children, I write, I write you these things so you may not violate God's law and sin. So I'm writing you so you don't sin. But if anyone should sin, this is what the Holy Spirit is telling you and me. We have an advocate, who, who, one who will intercede for us with the Father. It is Jesus Christ, the all-righteous, upright just who conforms to the Father's will in every purpose and thought and action. When you sin, you confess your sins to God, acknowledge it, recognize it for the purpose of your Working on it to be able to hate it, be able to stop it, to be able to, you know, everything we said before, God says, I'll forgive. Why? He said, I'm faithful, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm faithful and just, I'll forgive you because the blood was shed for it. And the blood is still speaking for you. But if you're ignorant of these things, you will not take advantage of it and stand by faith and know that the moment you confess it to God, it is gone. It is gone, never to come back. The devil will pummel you because of your ignorance. And you yield to it. Because it's true what you did. And then he will give you other things to do. Why not fast? Why not penance for yourself? The Bible said there are the minute no other sacrifice. Nothing else. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away our sins. So we must understand that he's our great high priest sitting in that office right now, and his blood intercedes for us. In Hebrew 9.28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Once he was offered to bear our sins, that offering is still effective. Hebrew 10.2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged, you have no more conscience of sin. Once your sins are forgiven, you confess it as the scripture instructs you to do, instructs you to do, you shouldn't have conscience of sin anymore. It's gone. Gone. So that way, you continue to maintain a good conscience before God. I'm wanting to do is who will doubt this truth and will not take advantage of it. In Hebrew 3, 12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. You see the warning? Unbelief is the sin that the Holy Spirit is addressing here. In departing from the living God, because now you now have boldness to go to God because you feel guilty. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See what I'm talking about? About you are trying to uh, rationalize things. You'll be hardened. 
you'll be hardened until your conscience is dead. Brethren, if you get there, I'm telling you, it's a dangerous place to be. Demons will, use, will, will immediately get in because they want your soul. Fourteen, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the, the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. If our confidence in Christ is held on and not taken away from us, we are partakers of everything he died for us to have. Unbelievers do not confess sin. The Holy Spirit told us what they do. They confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they become believers. It's spelled out. So let's see what the Bible says they do. Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, not sin, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. No place that the Holy Spirit said they must acknowledge their sinners. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. That sounds like condemnation to me. You are calling him a sinner. Did, did you even know? John 3, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him, that's all they need to do, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are saved. There is no other prescription that the Holy Spirit put there. Because your sins are washed away by his blood. He's the Savior. It's what he did that gives us eternal life, not what we do. There's nothing you do that will take away your sin. If you like, confess from Monday to Wednesday until you are brown, your mouth is red. It's waste of time for the person who does not know Jesus, who has not been saved. He confesses Jesus Christ as his Lord, believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what the Holy Spirit prescribed. John 3, 15. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Then the Holy Spirit wrote again to the church, 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on his name, the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the, on the name of the Son of God. He said, let me assure you, once you have believed in the name of Jesus Christ, he said you have eternal life. He said, Continue to stand on it. This is what the people who don't know Christ do. Be we that are Christians. The Holy Spirit tells us because we are born again, because we are alive, because we know, because we are no more dead. So we say when you do something, 
You should, you should acknowledge it. Because now, God has given you the ability to turn around. You can do all things through Christ. But they don't have. They don't have. But you have. Christ is in you. So you, you bear some responsibility for what you do. But they don't have. They don't have. They are dead. Completely dead in sin and trespasses. But you, the Christian, should be able to know I did this thing. Why? Because the light of God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Quickening you. Walking in you to will and to do the pleasure of God. So what did God send us to preach? 1 Corinthians 1.23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block unto the Greeks foolishness. All we preach is Christ crucified. Why? Because they have to believe in him to be saved. What he did by death on the cross is what we are telling them. He died to pay for your sins, to bring you forgiveness. Acts 8, 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. See what we preach? And as they went on their way, to, they came unto a certain water, and Enoch said, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart, didn't tell him to confess your sin. If you believe with all thy heart, thou mayest. That's all you need to do. There wasn't even prayer. There wasn't even prayer. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded that the child to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What did he say? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's all he did. That's what the Holy Spirit told us to do. That's what Paul warned us. He said, don't take away the power of the cross by adding. He said, I'm among you with fear and trembling because I know who is the auditor of my words. He trusted me and gave, gave this gospel into my hand. So I had to preach it. It is the power of God. As simple as it is. I don't have to improve on it. I don't have to add on it. Say what the Spirit of God says. We preach Christ and whom crucified. The Spirit does the convicting. Came to convict the world of sin. Why? It's a sin because they rejected Christ. That's what they're doing. It's not your job to do stuff like that. Your job is preach it. And don't forget that in salvation, you're really dealing with demonic spirit. Can people reason something who are under the influence of demonic spirit? People say, when we are like that, we are children of disobedience, under the spirit that walketh in children of disobedience. Come and be reasoning, and they're looking at the reasoning. Go and sit down. They need power. It's power. The gospel, the power. Why power? That is an opposing power that needs to be destroyed. But the word of God, in its own, the gospel in its own, is the power of God that the spirit works with. So after Philip said this, they got down and he baptized him. And the Holy Spirit took Philip from there and said, you're done. He didn't say, go back. There's something you didn't tell him. No, we're done. In verse 39, 
And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the Enoch saw him no more. Say, you're done. Good job. Let's go. Oh, no. We'll stay there and talk long story. Add our own. Fully human wisdom. Feelings. Emotions. All those things. Where they come from. It's no chapter and verse. It's not in the Bible. Don't add to the word of God, please. And don't take from it. Leave it like that. Forgiveness of sins. Continue. Acts 13, 38. See what they preach. But be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. That's what we are preaching, through Christ, that he brought us forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe, the world believe, are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. All that believe in him are now justified, for you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his spirit. By faith that is in him. That's what God told us. Second Corinthians 5.19 For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. Why? The blood has been shed. So why is he piling up, counting their sins and piling it? He'll be walking contrary to what the blood achieved. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Not condemnation. Reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. An ambassador speaks only what the government says. Through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God, come. Don't have to do anything, just come. Why? For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for your sin and our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Your sins have been taken care of. God made Christ to be the offering, the atoning sacrifice through his blood for your sins. You just come and accept it. That's all. You're okay. Now, focus on sin will ruin your Christian life. Because if you focus on sin, sin will control you. Anything you focus on will have influence on you. Anything you focus on consistently will start influencing you. If all you see is sin, 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 you will be living in sin. You can turn up, and we read it, you can become a hypocrite, package your life better. Either you're still gossiping, or a beer grudge, or it, I mean, it's, it's, it's just there. Anything you focus on, you turn and be like that. If you focus on Christ, the Spirit of God turns you to be like Him. If you focus on sin, you, your flesh, you should that. Because your flesh, that's what it wants to do. If you focus on Christ, the Spirit of God turns you to what you are looking at, to Him. And your faith grows. Look at the uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, when all of us 
No, Genesis 38, 38. Let's read that one first. Then he placed these peeled branches in the watering trough where the flocks come to drink. For that was where they meet. And when they mated in front of the white streaked branches, they gave birth to young that were streaked, speckled, and spotted. So he, you know the Jacob story, no? he put a, 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 a tree and made it a, a speckled, streaked. And so when the animals come to, to, to mate, they'll be looking at that tree. And what they produced was exactly what they were looking at. You think this is a joke? The Spirit of God is teaching us about focus. Did you know that God said to Abraham, raise your eyes and see. Anything you can see is yours. Focus is important where you're looking. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transfigured into his very own image, in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. So he says, if you are looking at Christ in the Bible, focus on Jesus, then you are constantly transformed. If we focus on sin, your, your own strict <laughs> branch with this, you produce it. It's as simple as that. Simple. <laughs> it's bad. And you will not walk in victory because when you focus on sin, you have guilt, condemnation, you have boldness, you have fear. Oh my God, you have a lot of fear. Revelation 12, 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength, the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Why is he using accusation as his main weapon? To take away your boldness. Take away your confidence in God. Make you a spiritual weakling and ride, ride rough shoes all over you. That's why that accusation, he's using it. Because he knows that you will never have good conscience. You have faith. Nobody exercises faith who is guilty. He brings shame, brings all those kind of things. And he works very hard to attack your emotions, to accuse you of everything. That's why I say Christians, you should fight back. He calls you a sinner. You say, I'm not a sinner, devil. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength, the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accuses them before God day and night. That's his ministry. And we agree. Because you're a sinner, cause you this, cause you that. <laughs> you're you are dying. You, you say, yeah, swallowing everything is calling you. When are you going to rise up and say, no, that's not who I am. I am who, who, who he said I am. Are you kidding me? I'm a member of the body of Christ, saint of God, holy ones, child of God, seated at the right hand of God. Are you kidding me? The temple of the Holy Spirit. You want to know more about me? I'm going to tell you something about it. The greater one lives in me. I'm a covenant child. And listen to what the scripture said. In verse uh, 11. And overcome him now by the blood. Why the blood? Because he's accusing you of guilt, but the blood says, no, he's not guilty. 
the blood says no. That sin is washed away. He is justified to be free. He's not, he's, he's going home. You, you can't bind him. No. The judge of all the earth set him free because of the blood. And then he says, the confession of your mouth. You have to say what the Spirit says about the blood. You overcome because of the blood. What is he accusing you for? The blood washed you away. The Bible called you saint of God, holy, holy brethren. Oh, you won't listen to that. Everything he tells you, you agree. I don't know why we like negative stuff. We love to agree that we are bad. If you tell somebody, you know, hey, you are looking so fine in this cloth. Too. They may not believe you easily. But if you say, ah, who saw this? It's not so good. They say, now, nah, wow, it's true. Hmm. I've been warning that man. <laughs> we agree more to evil than good. What? We should change our, um, we have to have a paradigm shift, people. This is affecting people in their thousands. Their faith is not working. Prayer is not working. There's no confidence in prayer. Nothing. Looking for who will pray for you. Why are you looking for who will pray for you? Because you have no confidence in your own faith. No confidence in your prayer. No confidence in your God. No confidence in the Bible. You think you're what? So you're looking for somebody you think has, is, is holier than you? Anointed? What? What? Prayer is an open invitation to all children of God. Every child of God can pray. The Bible says we have access with boldness because of what Christ has done. If I have access with boldness, why should I depend on you? I was listening to one very, very big man of God praying. He said good to God, because, you know, uh, answer this prayer because I'm your servant, because of, <laughs> I opened my eyes quietly, shook my head. I said, this prayer is going to work. It's not because of you. It's because of Jesus. You and I have no name recognition in heaven. We don't. It can't be because of you, because of Jesus. I just opened my eyes. Because it's the one of these big people in charge of so many churches, I can't me talk for where. You need a good conscience. It is required to be bold, to come to God, to be bold, to stand on who you are, to be bold, to stand, stand against the devil. I share with you people my story. When the devil came to frighten me, I said, you're kidding me. I know who I am. I told him who I am. And I said in Jesus' name, you get out of here. I said before I count three. That's called boldness. I had the option of chickening out and tomorrow fidgeting all over the place. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Where did you get that one? Because you are not focused on Jesus. He said, you keep you in perfect peace when your heart is focused on him. Hebrews 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Our sins are washed away. We are saints of God. We are holy brethren. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Hebrew 10, 3. But instead, these sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year, the animal sacrifices. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and animals to take away sin. Five, that is why when Christ came into the world, 
he said, I read this place before. He said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices. And verse 9. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He canceled the first covenant in order to put in place, the, in, in, put, into, put the second into effect. For God's will was to make us holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus. So he had provided us a way to go to God because of his blood, because of his sacrifice. It gives you boldness. You are accepted in the blood. You are sent. We wake up sometimes and say, Lord, thank you, I'm a saint of God. Woo! Holy brother, member of the body of Christ. Nobody should call me unclean because, God, you made me clean with the blood of Jesus. I'm see, see what happens in your spirit. Hebrew 9, 13. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young car could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Jesus, 14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify your conscience. Purify your conscience and give you a good conscience to stand before God boldly. Purify your conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That's why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set us free from the penalty of sins they had committed under the first covenant. The penalty of sins that the Lord defined. That's why I said under the first covenant. The Lord defines sin. Clears your conscience so you can have boldness, man. The devil will be throwing that accusation at you, but the blood speaks for you. If you know that, you fight back. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you for the forgiveness of sins you purchased for us by the blood of your son. You are encouraging us to believe these things, to have a paradigm shift. It is of the Lord mercy we are not consumed. Your mercy does not expose us to sin. Your mercy delivers us from sin. Because it gives you a chance, Lord, to do what we cannot do. When you clean us up and we become your children, then you become the power that works in us. And that power can deal with our flesh. That presence in us, the greater one, can deal with the world. It gives us wisdom. Gives us understanding. It, many steps ahead of the world. You, you are able now to be connected to resources of heaven and be peculiar people, holy people, saints of God, children of the Most High, on whom you have dressed with your robe of righteousness. Put your ring of authority on us and say, all I have is yours. Thank you, precious Father. Blessed be thy name. We are truly blessed. We are truly, truly blessed. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.